episode of Wild Wild What the Facts, the podcast where a few friends talk about the crazy, hilarious, and surprising things that have happened in history. I'm Lauren. Is is that our NPR audition (laughs) tape? (laughs) Yeah, I felt I was feeling it today. I was like, you know what, today, let's calm it down. The the day (laughs) after we're all blowing stuff up, we decide to, to have a calm one. All right. Yes. yes. It is the 5th of July. It is the 5th of July, and today we were all awoken by bombs. Well, and hey, and that's very topical, too. So it fits the theme. It is a little bit. I, I literally had... <coughs> excuse me. Sorry, I just died. Um, I had fireworks surrounding my house last night. And it was intense. It sounded like they were in my backyard. Some of them there were, were some good in ones in the neighborhood behind me, but it was, for the most part, it wasn't that bad. I was out actually kind of early last night. That's what happens when you're old. So, yeah, I didn't go out and see any. Well, I guess I stood on. I my didn't even deck look out a window last night. Some of them, but. <laughs> I only did because. Our friend Butters was sending me like Snapchats of like his going off. And I was like, all right, now I have to uh, like one up him because that's who I am as a human. And um, went outside and was like kind of videoing them. Like they literally, the house right next door on the left side and the right side were both like shooting them off at the same time. And they were like, so I grew up in the desert where it was illegal to have any fireworks that went oh. over 10 feet off the ground. So my brain is exploding when I'm seeing like actual fireworks that ex- like go up and explode and like look like real fireworks and aren't just like smoke bombs. And <laughs> those were going off in my backyard. And then you know where my house mm-hmm. is. So like I can look across the freeway and there were like, all over the place, fireworks across the freeway and like Colorado, you're failing. Granted, I'm sure there were some nice fireworks. I was just <laughs> lazy and old, so yeah. Well, and Colorado, Colorado is kind of deserty. Where you are isn't super deserty, but they're probably also pretty particular about it this year because this is the yes. fire season, so. Yes, and like the entire West Coast is on fire. Dude, I did not realize Arizona has forest or wildfires, and they're the worst. They're the All worst the state right now. Oh well, I grew up like five. So when I I lived in Tucson, Arizona, when I was little, they would there was this mountain that they called A Mountain because it had a big A on it. Yeah, it was more like a hill than a mountain. But anyway. <laughs> They would, the for the week before 4th of July, the fire department would just, like, spray it and foam it down mm-hmm. to, like, wet it and everything for, like, days before 4th Sheesh. of July. And then they would shoot off fireworks. And every year, that bitch lit on fire. Every year. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't matter how much they foamed it, anything. That was, like, 4th of July was waiting for the mountain to be on fire. On fire. That's Yo. that's a very metal image, a yeah. mountain on fire. And <laughs> you were not allowed to have fireworks. Like, you had to go see the city fireworks because you couldn't shoot off your own. I guess they can. Well, they couldn't this year. There was a firework ban. Yeah. But I guess you can now. Well, and it's... You couldn't even have smoke This year's bombs. a little weird, too, just because of the shortage of yeah. fireworks. So, But I just... So, no, like... All the West is in a drought. Like Utah's in a major drought. Um, Arizona's major drought. California, Nevada, everybody. Super, super. I drought. think we're gonna get there. It was really rainy here yeah. for a little bit, but it's hot and dry now. And Kansas is flooding. Well, we'll so, send some of that water this way. <laughs> we should. But yeah, hope everyone had a great Fourth of July. It's one of the best holidays, in my opinion. It's so fun. But yeah, hope. Hope everyone was safe and 
Happy Independence Day. Yeah, don't blow your hands off. And uh, yeah, so we we're, we're kind of, as we mentioned earlier, a little on topic with the Fourth of July as we are talking about crazy <laughs> weapons. So blowing stuff up, blowing yes. stuff up. And I believe I'm going first in the matter. Yes. So <laughs> the Pacific Theater in World War II sucked. I, I'm not saying that the, the European theater was, you know, a great time, but the <laughs> war in the Pacific was really different. It was more personal. The terrain was way different. There were different issues. Disease was a lot more of a problem there. And, and the enemy... The Japan, the Empire of Japan, they had a very, very particular mindset, and they caused a lot of problems in in Asia for a very long time. You know, partially due to our intervention in in their country mm-hmm. from the late 1800s, but they kind of went rogue and they they went ham on on Korea. They went into China, you know, all the Pacific Islands. Japan was trying to take them over because. There was a lot of colonialism up to this point, and Japan always saw themselves as a power, and they always felt that we deserve some of this colonialism too, whereas mm-hmm. they felt disrespected as you know Britain and the United States treated them as the colonizees. I don't. I don't White yeah. People. So anyway. So they had that mindset, and that's why they were doing what they were doing in Asia. But they they did a lot of terrible things in China and Korea and other places around there. Empire of Japan. Yeah. So because they were doing so many very violent, bad things in Asia, and as the war progressed, they knew that they were going to lose. There's a certain point to where you know you're going to lose. Like once we got to like Okinawa, we were super close to the mainland. It was only a matter mm-hmm. of time. The thing with Japan, though, is, and a lot of people do this, is they were trying to extend the war as long as possible so they could get the best possible deal in the peace treaty. The longer they're in the war, mm. the more say that they have and the more, um, the more leverage they have in these negotiations. So the United States was looking for ways to get them to surrender. Enter... <laughs> The bat bomb. So, <laughs> as you know, the atomic bombs in Hiroshima and Nagasaki ultimately caused the Japanese to surrender. Before <laughs> that, there was another idea. <laughs> so, I'm going to preface this with both of us. The idea we went in was history's worst weapons, and we were leaving it up to interpretation, and both of us went like, what are the dumbest weapons ever? Right. So. <laughs> We're not going to talk about anything super intense. So something else that I want to mention that I kind of didn't mention before is Americans were really desperate to end this portion of the war as well, not just because it's war and you want to stop it, but the indoctrination of Japanese citizens into the whole personality cult of the empire, empire of Japan and the emperor would cause people to literally commit suicide if Americans showed up on their Mm -hmm. islands. People would jump off cliffs, throw their kids off of cliffs. They would share grenades. It was bad just because the Japanese told their people that, you know, when the Americans come along, they would be bringing communism. They would be enslaving people. They would rape and they would kill. So they really scared the Japanese public into thinking that we were literally the worst thing ever. Yeah. So just for the the sake of innocent lives, we needed to get out of the war. So we kind of went over that. In trying to get them to surrender, going from island to island wasn't going to do it. We needed a big, big statement. And so in August of 1945 is when the bombs were dropped. Mm Mm-hmm. Was it Fat Man and and Big Boy were the bombs, I think, that were dropped? And (laughs) so... When atomic bombs are dropped, the city's just gone. Just gone. You know, there's a flash. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it detonated a little bit above. But during World War II, there was another destructive force that was utilized. I actually spoke about it in Dresden on an episode a few months ago. Mm-hmm. And that's firebombs. Well, not firebombs. Firestorms. In, Incendiary right. devices. And so when people would go on bombing runs, there was a mix of 
just normal bombs and incendiary bombs, hoping that you would start a firestorm, which is terrible because firestorms, <laughs> the convections would cause people to get sucked into them. And it's just, it doesn't discriminate on who it kills. Yep. Tokyo and just, I guess, Japan in general was a very good candidate for firestorms because a lot of their cities at this time are built out of wood. Uh, yep. And so before the bomb was actually thought of and, and, and built and, and dropped, a guy named Lytle S. Adam in Irwin, Pennsylvania, was acquainted with Eleanor Roosevelt, and he had an idea. And he was a he, dentist, He was a right? dentist. Mm-hmm. And this was shortly after the attack on Pearl Harbor, but he wrote a letter to the White House, and he described a recent visit, visit to Carlsbad Caverns National Park where he observed a bunch of bats. And he noticed on his trip that right before dawn, the bats would roost. So they would find a place and they would hide and they Mm -hmm. would roost. And with that calculation, he also thought about the fact that the buildings in Tokyo were largely made of wood. And so he was like, I wonder if we can use bats and fire and just burn down Tokyo. Mm. (laughs) So (laughs) he was a dental surgeon. Oh, yes. So the White House... (laughs) read this letter, and they're like, you know what? Seems like a good idea. And they <laughs> approved the project. And Didn't FDR have, like, a really funny quote about him? I think so. I think I know what you're talking about. I didn't put it in here, though. Yeah. Um, um. See if you can find it. But this was assigned to the Air Force initially. And through their studies, they specifically found that the Mexican free-tailed bat was the, uh, the the candidate of choice. This is so twisted. So, like I said, it was originally given to the Air Force, and then Adams was ch- charged with putting the team together. <laughs> Two of his scientists were self-described, quote, bat lovers. Yeah. But they would oh. never, they never question the morality of lighting like a few million bats on fire, which is really funny, but it's so messed up. Yeah. Even if you hate rodents and hate bats and are terrified of them, this is so dark. So after they settled on the Mexican free-tailed bat, they're like, well, we need some sort of incendiary. This is so messed up. We need some sort of incendiary. So initially, they were going to use white phosphorus as that's, that was the go-to incendiary of the day. It might be the yeah. go-to. Oh, I found the quote. FDR said, this man is not a nut. It sounds like a perfectly wild idea and is worth looking into. <laughs> <laughs> so white phosphorus was the initial incendiary. However, there was a guy, a chemist named Louis Pfizer on the team. And he was just like, you know what? I invented this this new incendiary. Let's use that one instead. And he called it napalm. Yeah. So they used napalm as the incendiary. In a very Monty Python determination, they found that a 0.5-ounce bat could carry, <laughs> could, <laughs> could carry uh, half to uh, 0.6 ounces of napalm. <laughs> a f- oh, I didn't even... A 5-ounce so bird can prep- carry a 1-pound coconut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i didn't even so i'm gonna preface this with jared and i did their same story on accident and ha, i ha, well mine's a little bit different but i researched some of this that's why i keep making comments but i didn't even make the monty python yeah like as i was reading this so i was i was cracking up because i was doing that whole monologue <laughs> in my head oh gosh now i'm just imagining a little sparrow okay a, Euro- <laughs> a european swallow he got oh, gripped yes. by the husks. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so they they determined how much napalm a bat could actually carry, and they ended up storing it in little cellulose containers, and they literally glued it to the bat's front, which is so messed up. Yeah. Well, they tried to tie it on with strings. They tried first. a few different methods, but adhesive to the front of the bat was the way to go. So Mm -hmm. they just glued it to these poor bats. 
so talking about the bomb itself, it was about five feet in length, and I'm trying to figure out a good, like, it, I mean, it looked like a warhead, but there was little holes mm-hmm. poked in it. It looked, it looked like, like a strainer almost, like a long strainer. Yeah. Uh, you can put, like, lettuce in or something. Yeah, cylinder. It looked like a rocket with a bunch of holes, but it was, like, pretty yeah. wide. Like a fat rocket with a bunch of right. holes. And and again, there's tons of pictures of this thing, and we'll we'll put them up. Mm-hmm. I can tweet it. So, the bomb itself was said to and we say bomb. It wasn't a bomb. It was a carrying device for a bunch of bats armed mm-hmm. with incendiaries. But it could hold about 1,040 bats. It was meant to be dropped from a plane, and a chute would open about 4,000 feet high, and slides would fall off the container, and it would allow the bats to mm-hmm. fly out, and then they would go and do their bat thing. Wasn't the first, the first prototype was made out of cardboard, wasn't it? I, I don't remember. I didn't see that one. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And I, I forget how they got the bats to um, hibernate too. They either, I would think they either froze them or deprived them of oxygen. They froze okay. them. So they just brought down their yeah. temperature. Again, more abuse for these poor things. When testing, yeah. they were... <laughs> So when they were testing this, there was an incident at Carlsbad Army Airfield when bats that they actually armed with the incendiaries were released. And it actually worked gangbusters. They did what they were supposed to do. Mm -hmm. But it lit fuel tanks on fire. And the entire test range that they were using was completely incinerated. Yeah. So. They like, didn't they go under one of the fuel tanks? Yeah, yeah. So again, what's hilarious about this is it actually did work. Yeah. And it's just when you really take a step back and think about all the moving parts of it, it's just so messed up. So after this <laughs> issue, the project was handed off to the Navy and they renamed it to be called Project X-Ray. Then mm-hmm. it was passed to the Marines after the Navy renamed it. And they moved the project to El Centro, California. So just a place off in the desert. And here they did a mock Japanese village to perform a definitive test. And as before in their oopsie daisy with the fuel tanks at the other test range, it was actually a success. And they put the stamp of approval that said, you know what, this thing will work. So more tests were actually scheduled for 1944, but the project was ultimately canceled by Fleet Admiral Ernst J. King after he heard it wouldn't be combat ready until like 1945. And at mm-hmm. this point, they had spent the equivalent of $20 million in today's money. That's insane. Ultimately, it is thought that the project was canceled just because it got lopped, uh, lopped, lapped by the uh, atomic bomb. Yeah. So kind of a short presentation, but it's just, it's just so weird. And it's so funny. But what's yeah. even funnier is it would have worked. But... The more I think about it, and it, so it's just up. so messed up. You were you were using millions of bats, lighting them on fire, to light a city on fire, to light people on mm-hmm. fire. Yeah. Well, it's, did you read the part where what they went to test it and the they didn't let the bats like wake up enough, so when they opened them, they just like yeah. fell. <laughs> they didn't fly. <laughs> and again, so just... this would be a really funny movie in the same vein of like the men that stare at goats. Something goofy like that. Because that was a real project too. A paranormal project where they literally tried to make psychic soldiers. Um, so yeah. It's just... That's yeah. insane. And I don't know what's better. The bombs or, or this or what would have been better. They're both, they're both super twisted. Oh. But yeah, bat bombs people. I also did animal bombs, <laughs> obviously, since I said we kind of researched the same thing. I took a little bit different route where I just decided to talk about a few of them all at once. So mine is a little bit more of a trigger warning than Jared's was. Some of them are really funny. There's one that's kind of terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Like, you know that website of didthedogdie.com? No. For movies? 
There's a website you can go to where it's literally like, did the dog die? And you can look up the movie and it tells you yes or no. For this podcast episode, the answer is yes. And I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so if you don't want to talk, listen to me talking about that, just we'll see you next time. But if please stick around. Some of mine are really funny. They're not all about dogs. I, I think we'll be okay. <laughs> okay. Do you want me to start with the terrible one or the funny one? Let's start terrible. Okay, let me scroll down then. So we're going to go to, I'm also on World War II, and we're going to go to Soviet Russia because obviously, I guess, I don't know. So they began training dogs for military purposes in 1924. It started out as what you would expect them to train dogs for or what you think of service dogs as now. Like they would transport goods and bring messages or food and medicine to people or they would remove soldiers from combat. Okay. Kind of cool. And so they opened up these specialized dog training schools and they actually ended up hiring circus trainers, hunters, and police officers to train these dogs. (laughs) I mean... Hire the experts, I guess. Yeah, because they didn't have dog trainers right. at the time. That wasn't a thing. So certain those all make sense. Um, eventually, German Shepherds became their dog of choice. But from pictures, it also looked like they were using... Crap, now I can't think of what kind of dog it is. They have super, super curly hair. Anyway, well, I can't think of it, what kind of dog it is. But it's not a doodle. Anyway, um, in 1930, the idea of using trained dogs for specialized mobile mines was approved. And in 1935, the anti-tank dog became like a specialized area of training at these schools. The original idea was to train the dogs to take the bombs in the specialized pack on its back, reach a specific target, pull a release, leave that bomb, run away, and then the bomb would be detonated on a timer or with a remote. And they started training dogs to do this, but after about six months, none of the dogs could successfully complete the full task. They could do it with one target, but if the target moved or if something changed, the dog would become com- be like confused and then would return to the trainer with the bomb still attached which is obviously not super great if they jump into their own tank with <laughs> bombs on them. And so they're like, okay, let's change tactics. We're just going to train the dog to not remove the bomb and to become the bomb. And so they would detonate the, the device with it still attached to the dog. Uh. And that target became enemy tanks. So the training went on to where they would attach like a pole to their pack because remote detonator devices were actually expensive and really hard to make at the time, I guess. Mm -hmm. So this pack, the lever would like hit the top of, or like when they, they were trained to run under the enemy tanks. And so when the lever hit the tank, it would explode pretty much. (laughs) They started training the dog by essentially starving them and then placing meat under these tanks so that they would associate tanks with food. And then they gradually gradually implemented like more intense scenarios, like leaving the tanks. They started with the tanks off and then they turned them on and then they added gunfire and like trying to get the dogs used to noises. Mm -hmm. And they also used them to enter from the back of the tank so it was harder for them to shoot at them, in theory. And the first time that they actually used the dogs was in 1941, and it wasn't super successful. They took 30 dogs and 40 trainers into the battle. They had never trained the dogs with actually firing tanks. Oh, poor things. So the dogs were absolutely terrified. And they were, everything is loud and scary. They also didn't train them with the tanks moving. Mm. So naturally, no dog wants to run under a moving vehicle. That's just not a thing that they do. (laughs) Um, 
So even when they're starved and they're trained to think foods under the tank, they're just not going to do that naturally. Mm -hmm. Some of the more brave dogs would run up to the tanks, but the Russians or the Soviets didn't provide any like cover fire for some reason. So the dogs were just shot. And another thing, they also trained the dogs with Soviet tanks because that would make sense, right? Mm -hmm. But Soviet tanks used diesel fuel and German tanks used gasoline. So the smell confused the dogs. So on top of being terrified, they would get turned around and scared. And so they would run under the Soviet tanks because that was the smell they associated with their training. And that wasn't super great or they would run back to their handlers because where do you want to go and you're scared the person who's supposed to be taking care of you so the handlers would have to shoot their own dogs because the dogs are running back towards them (laughs) and they had live bombs on their backs in this battle yeah so The trainers after this refused, a lot of them refused to train any more dogs because they were like, I just had to shoot my own dog that I just spent years training. And also the military was accused of just sacrificing these dogs and the troops because in the battle, only four of the 30 dogs managed to detonate their bombs near the German tanks. At least six ended up exploding and killing Soviet troops because they would run and like some of them would try to jump back into the tank that they had just left. So that would hit the lever and it would explode the tank. And three of the dogs were shot by Germans without the tanks going off. So they took the dogs and like looked at their bomb and figured out the detonation techniques (laughs) so they could use it against Soviets. And it didn't end up using it because obviously it wasn't super effective. (laughs) But, yeah, they it didn't work out super well. That's so sad. They did continue to try to use anti-tank dogs after this. They uh-huh. changed up their technique a little bit by providing cover fire, which helped. The dogs were super fast moving and low to the ground, so it made it a little difficult with the cover fire happening for them to shoot at the dogs because they were smaller. So in other battles, it was a little bit more effective, but nobody really knows how actually effective it was because Soviet Russia <laughs> they of course say it destroyed at least 300 German tanks during World War II but that's pretty disputed as propaganda also one of the websites I found was a Russian website that seemed to be a little bit propaganda-y so I kind of had to take some of the things with grain of salt but <laughs> The actual number is probably around a dozen tanks that it actually was useful with. There was a, um, hold on. In one of the battles, in a Russian word I can't say, six dogs had damaged five German tanks near the airport of Stalingrad. Anti-tank dogs destroyed 13 tanks. And at the Battle of Kursk, 16 dogs disabled 12 German tanks, which had broken through Soviet lines. So... Maybe it was actually a good number, so more than a dozen. I don't know why I wrote down about a dozen, but mm-hmm. there were a couple battles where it was actually useful. Anti-tank dogs were effective enough that Germans actually were ordered to shoot any dog that they saw if it was near the battlefield, just in case. In that kind of propaganda website, I found it said that German forces were forced to retreat after some bomb dogs got across their lines, but that was the only place that I saw that, so... Russians using propaganda. Yeah. Anti tank dogs were faded out around 1942 or 1943, and they started using them more to sniff out mines. Thank you. But they continued to train them as anti tank dogs until 1996. That's messed up. Come on, Russia. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Like, I don't, they didn't use them. I'm just saying, though, you had, you had the option. Yeah. Just no. You do not blow up puppers. Do not do it. Yeah. In 1943, the Japanese army, so the Germans figured out what the Russians were doing. So they 
gave Japan 25,000 dogs to begin training them to run into bunkers instead of under tanks. So they were supposed to run into the bunkers with bombs on their backs. Mm -hmm. This is terrible. And just sit there and wait for it to be detonated. God. (laughs) Of course, in training, it didn't actually go off, but... I, it was pretty unsuccessful because most of the dogs would return to their trainers instead of just entering the bunker or wouldn't sit long enough to actually detonate the bombs. So that didn't ever go into effect. They started the training. So I don't think any dogs actually got exploded. I it's, hope. It's just a thought. It, it, it's, yeah. You tell this poor thing in good faith to go in there because it's expecting a treat or something. It just sits there and you explode it. Like, that's so yeah. so messed up. I hate it. It's so messed I up. I hate it so much. Ugh. Yeah. Um, the U.S. started to train anti-tank dogs in 1943 also and in, during the Vietnam War, but they ran into similar problems, as stated before, so they never actually used them in battle. And anti-bomb like bomb dogs, I guess... Not anti-bomb dogs, but dogs used as bombs um, actually happened in the Iraq War against the U.S. That makes sense. But mainly, they were pretty unsuccessful, so they started using donkeys carrying bombs. That makes sense, too. Yeah. um, So, there we go. There's my absolutely terrible thing. It's over. Let's go to more funny things. I mean, in an improvised setting, like... The uh, the insurgency in Iraq that makes sense. Yeah. Like I see them using that because I mean they bolt yeah. fifty caliber machine guns to like nineteen eighty three Toyota whatevers. But man, I feel as a major or a big power like Russia, you wouldn't need to mm-hmm. blow up dogs. So yeah, it's just sad. Well, it's not a good look either way. No. And hopefully we've moved past that in the U.S. And it just doesn't seem that things were desperate enough for them to do that. Because I understand in times of desperation, too, especially with war, there's things that you're going to do. But the fact that they weren't that effective, it's just, it's it's annoying. Yeah. So none of the things, so all of the things I'm going to talk about were not very effective. Well, I guess you talked about the bat bombs, which technically. Which in theory was effective. Yeah. And there's another one that I'm going to talk about that in theory may have been effective. But I'm still not super sure about that. But there is one I'm going to talk about that is the dumbest idea I've ever, (laughs) ever heard of. I'm excited. So let's go to that one. Okay. And of course, which country do you think that one takes place in? Say either England or here. The U.S. All right. So this one takes the cake for the dumbest idea. Before. Let's a little bit of history. Before the CIA became a thing, we had the OSS, which is the Office of Strategic Services. And it was used to coordinate like our espionage units behind enemy lines across all of the armed forces. It was mainly based off like MI6 and was UK trained. And they would perform like acts of sabotage and propaganda and try to fight the Nazis. World War II makes sense. I'm not sure which geniuses they employed that came up with this idea, but yeah. So the German forces were pretty strong on the water, right? They were strong on land, strong on water. They had some pretty good ships and submarine things. The OSS was like, the Air Force is needing some help here. How can we improve our bombing techniques against these German battleships? And someone, some genius, was like, cats hate water. <laughs> and they also seem to always land on their feet. Oh, no. So they must have this natural instinct to just find ways to avoid water and can steer themselves to land on their feet. So naturally, let's strap a bomb to them. poor cats and if we put them in the middle of the ocean (laughs) with a ship as the only option as dry land they'll just naturally steer the bomb to that ship right because that's it's science i mean 
And I, I, I can see where their mindset is right now with this. I can follow the logic, even though I think it's stupid. I can follow the logic. They're not magic. But, I mean, I can see what they're saying. Cats hate water. Mm-hmm. Cats will desperately look for land. There's a boat over there. Yeah. Cats mm-hmm. going to naturally go that way. I get it. It's yeah. Again, it's stupid. It's really stupid. It's very simplistic thinking, but I can see the logic. Okay. So, luckily, this didn't go past testing. But I don't know how many times they tested it before they were like, maybe this isn't going to work. Because the cats kept passing out <laughs> mid-fall, as animals and people are apt to do when you're free-falling from high distances with no reasoning or safety nets. So they weren't able to actually use these cat magic powers to guide the bombs, because they were unconscious. So it didn't work. And weirdly, no one said, hey, cats aren't Superman and can't fly. So guiding a bomb, even when awake, may not be possible. But this was a legitimate theory that they tested that was backed and funded by the U.S. government during World War II. How much was spent on it? I don't know. Let's Google. Okay. (laughs) How much did the U.S. Government. Being that cat handler had to have been the worst job in the military at the time. Right? Because you have to, like, make them love you. Well, and I'm sure they were all super aggravated the entire time, too. Yeah. I legitimately cannot find an answer. Yeah. We can we can circle back to it some other time. Enough to be embarrassed about. Probably. Yeah. Well, I mean, a dollar <sighs> is too much. <laughs> More th- or the it going past the idea and theory phase. Like I could see sitting at a table, like wh- give us ideas for weapons, and someone goes, "Cats strapped to bombs." Like get out. <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> the fact that it didn't they, that didn't happen is too much money spent. <laughs> His salary was too much money spent. Just ridiculous cats. <laughs> hey, you yes. know cats say water, right? <laughs> <laughs> and they always land on their feet, so they can obviously guide a bomb if we strap it to its back. And then at the end of the meeting, they're like, hey, uh, let's go back to Bill's cat idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, and none of the articles named who came up with the idea. So, like, it's enough to be super embarrassed about that they're like, well, let people talk about it, but just barely. Right. Just barely. <laughs> to, like, <laughs> like, seriously. <laughs> Sheesh. Cats. Okay. Cats. So, we're going to stay in the U.S. for a second. Okay. Um, this one is the one... So I originally talked about the bat bombs and then Jared told me he was talking about it. So I scratched that idea and I decided to talk about the time the U.S. wanted to use pigeons as kamikaze pilots. Because that makes sense. It actually was almost successful, which I think is the more scary part of this. Um, but yeah, let's get into it. gotta know how pigeons work. <laughs> so... Skinner, who was a scientist, if you are have ever looked into or taken a class about child development or mm-hmm. SPED or anything like that, you'll know who Skinner is. He was a behavioral psychologist at the Minnesota, or University of Minnesota who believed that like conditioning could train behavior kind of thing, especially operant con- operant conditioning which is like using consequences and reinforcement which could be good or bad to shape behavior Mm -hmm. that's the basic gist of it but he believed that pigeons could be trained to guide missiles and he was riding a train apparently shortly after the bombing of warsaw and he had had some history working with birds at this time and he saw a flock of birds lifting and flying in formation alongside the train. And he was like, they could guide missiles. (laughs) They definitely could like, look how they're flying. They're great. Like they, they could guide missiles. (laughs) So he 
chose pigeons because they apparently were more predictable than other birds. I mean, we, I guess we did use them as like messengers and that kind of stuff, homing pigeons. So makes a little more sense. Right. So he went to a poultry store and bought a whole bunch of pigeons and started training these birds to eat kernels of grain by pecking. Hold on. A poultry Finger? store. So they used to have stores where you can go buy live fowl, such as pigeons. Apparently. Because when 40s, you said poultry yes. store, I was like, what's he going to do with the little Cornish pigeon? Like, <laughs> it's already dead. It's not going to do him any good. But the He wanted to make a nice pigeon pie. Um, what it, I have no idea. There's a name for eating pigeons that they call. Anyway, sorry. I, that's a completely different thing. We're not eating them. We're bombing with them. Well, I know, but so. I, hunters call it something weird. Um, pigeons. But wow. anyway. No, the the fact that there is a there's a poultry store where you buy live birds is weird to me. That was what the article said. Was I mean, I be, I so. believe it, especially in Europe too. There was weird stuff over there, but yeah. Well, this was the U.S. Oh, this is the U.S. I thought you said Warsaw, yeah. and I was thinking Poland. Mm-hmm. And so it was after the bombing of Warsaw in '43. Gotcha. He was, of course, everybody was like, the U.S. is going to join this war. Weird. Like, well, sorry to derail you. Keep going. I'm going to look up this. Poultry that's okay. Store. Yeah, look up poultry stores i've also never heard of anybody eating pigeons are you thinking of doves well pigeons are doves it's it's the same kind of thing yeah Um, i'm pretty sure they're the same like overall thing they just it's like a like a a grizzly bear and a freaking polar bear it's they're both they're both so they're, bears. They're all birds? No, no they're both bears. It's just there's they're different types of bears, and I think they're all or like all apes or monkeys and or whatnot. It's the same kind of thing. No, apes and monkeys are different. Well, one of them is always the other, and one of them is not. Any biologist listening to this, will you please tweet at Jared and tell him that he's wrong? I don't have enough biology backing. I used to watch a lot of Animal Planet, but Apparently, it's failing me now. (laughs) Anyway, so he went and he started training these birds, pigeons, to peck at a specific target image to earn kernels. During this training, they were held in positions in front of a screen using a harness that he first made out of a men's sock because, of course. And these pigeons... Their eyesight was so good that they could pick out a target. The movement of their neck could produce signals to steer. And their head and neck together could pick up the grain as the reinforcer, I guess. So he built a system with the pigeons moving. They steered like moving pairs of rods that were somehow attached around their neck. And they would lift and lower its head to steer them. And this would... By, like, moving it back and forth, they would, like, go across a track, I guess. They would place grains in a bullseye, and then the pigeons were then supposed to fly on this track and move things with their head towards that bullseye. And they got really good at this. And so then they moved up to a system where the pigeons would peck at a screen, and then that pecking would pick up a signal and they could control a guide system with it pigeons and doves are the exact same thing dove is a german word and pigeon is a uh nordic word or something like that or no 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 pigeon is french dove came in from nordic languages okay well i don't have any i don't but apes and monkeys are not the same thing so But we're not monkeys. So if the image moved off center, they would like frantically peck to move it back to center and back on track, I guess. And then this would simulate like moving a missile control system. And with practice, these birds got really good at this. Like it was practically perfect. And then he was, of course, Skinner was like, I've done it. I've guided missiles with a pigeon, Mm. I guess. So he went to two different departments of defense and was like, hey, look at my thing. And they were like, <laughs> no, thanks. And then Pearl Harbor happened. Yep. And so Skinner was like, I'm going to do this again. I'm going to convince them. 
And he filmed his birds and doing their crazy things and sent them to the NDRC, which I forgot to look up what that meant. National Defense something center, I'm assuming. And at this point, they would take anything because Pearl Harbor just happened. And a mechanic of General Mills, like their head mechanic, was like, this guy's got something going on. So they decided to listen to it a little bit more, and they started refining his system. They built better harnesses that weren't made out of socks, and they built a better electrical bullseye system. And then the government was like, do you know what? Let's back them, and gave them funding, and they started to work in Florida. They bought a whole bunch of pigeons again. They started off starving the birds for 36 hours prior to experiments. That's terrible. Because they... You'd have to be hungry to work for food. But soon the birds learned that they didn't have to peck right in the center of the bullseye to get food. They just hit anywhere, <laughs> and then they started getting grain. So they were like, all right, we have to fix that. And they changed it. So they had direct, like, peck directly at the center, and then they changed it to they had to peck a certain amount of times before they would get food. And then they added, like, pistol fire around the bird's head and then they put them in pressure chamber like chambers to stimulate being in a plane mm-hmm. and then they put like them in a centrifuge they increased g-force they did all these things to try to stimulate or simulate not stimulate being in <laughs> why are you laughing i just imagine <laughs> pigeons in a centrifuge <laughs> just like yeah these poor birds <laughs> just like pressing against the side of it but they kept pecking the whole time. So they were like, pressed against the side, pecking the <laughs> These poor birds. And then G4, like the whole thing, horrible. They also apparently learned that these birds loved hemp seeds. Of course. It was like their crimp. Of course they so. did. <laughs> um, so they would work especially hard for hemp seeds. So they took their birds to Washington and showed them all these things and they performed amazingly but in 1944 they the government pretty much is like we actually don't have good enough missiles to make this work (laughs) and we don't and we have a few better things to focus on right now so they canceled the project (laughs) and skinner of course heartbroken Continued training his birds just in case, but in 1953, it was entirely canceled. And we're like, eh, because we figured out electronic guidance systems and we didn't need pigeons to guide our missiles. And radio-controlled guided missiles like Hedy Lamar made. Yeah, so Germany already had radio-controlled guided missiles, so that's part of why they were trying to figure out a system, I guess, and that's why the pigeon thing held water at mm-hmm. all. But apparently the system that they used, like the bullseye system, the electronic thing that they used for this, actually helped create the guidance system we eventually started using. I mean, it makes sense on the so, very basic level as to be the building block for it, but it's still yeah. bonkers. Yeah, so it wasn't totally insane there was something that came out of it but these poor pigeons in a centrifuge (laughs) (laughs) and luckily i guess they we weren't strapping bombs to these pigeons so we were just torturing them for hemp but you were putting them in bombs no they were guiding oh so i I always imagined them like in the bomb guiding the bomb Mm -mm. no they were guiding they were apparently from what I got from this is they were supposed to like be like a radio guided oh. missile. They were going to peck and guide it, I guess. I don't really know. Huh. Exact maybe it was they were gonna be in the bombs and guide them eventually. I don't yeah. know. It never but as, from what I got, it was they were just pecking oh, things. Okay, to well guide that's good stuff. that we weren't gonna <laughs> blow up the pigeons. Yeah. We no pigeons were directly killed in result of a bombing in this project. They were just made to be very uncomfortable. Very yes. uncomfortable. Yes. So, let's go to Britain now. Oh, Britain. This one's not quite as stupid as the cat one, but it's pretty messed up. Uh, 
and kind of dumb. And you get to imagine them planning this with English accents. Yes. Which makes it way better. (laughs) (laughs) So the special operations executive office was similar to the OSS. And they had an officer there that posed as a student and got 100 lab rats by saying he needed them for a lab experiment. But they were really going to use these rats as weapons. So the SOE then killed all 100 of these rats. I don't know how. I didn't look into it. Rats were harmed in the making of this project. Uh, I'm going to assume it was humane. Probably not. World War II, so Mm -hmm. probably not. So then they removed the insides of the rat and replaced the insides of the rat with explosives and sewed those rats back up, thus making them into low-key rat bombs. (laughs) And the idea was to place these dead rats around German boilers and in their coal piles, suspecting that the Germans would see a dead rat and just throw it into the boiler, because that's apparently what you did with dead rats, and then it would thus cause an explosion. That is that was sinister. The idea. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Makes a little bit more sense than strapping cats to bombs, but still not great because animals are being harmed. They also did things, they came up with different ideas. I think they would disguise coal as bombs too, or like that, or wood and that kind of stuff with the same idea. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't necessarily to kill people. I think it was to destroy property to make it hard for them to right. create and run normally. Right. They only had a Oh, like a hundred of these rats, though, because that's all they could get posing as students. And they somehow the, they were like transporting these rat bombs to, across, and Germans intercepted the container of rats before they could be placed anywhere. <laughs> they were like, what is this? So <laughs> I don't know how. Somehow they intercepted this box of rat bombs. <sighs> and they didn't know it was the only box that they had. So just finding that container of rat bombs put them on edge enough (laughs) that they were like terrified of rats. So they took this explosive rat and distributed them to all the military training areas so they could study and put like searches throughout Europe to, and so they like were searching for explosive rats all over Europe to like make sure that they weren't actually planted anywhere. So, although the experiment technically failed, they count it as a success because all of the resources the Germans actually put in to find these rats that never existed. And so they never got used for their actual purpose, but it scared the Germans enough that they didn't like rats for a long time. There's just so much about that. There's just so much (laughs) to unpack with that. Yeah. That's my story. <laughs> like, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're gonna think twice if you ever see a dead rat now. The Germans don't like, throw them in fire. They we're probably like, what in the world are these people doing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Could you imagine like intercepting? I'm sure it wasn't just like. It wasn't like someone was just carrying a box right. of rat bombs. Like there was probably other weapons. Could you imagine like opening the boxes of weapons and you're like, what's like, the what's hell? It's like, what's in there? Bunch of dead rats. <laughs> and then you pick them up and then you like, had to realize that they were stuffed with explosives. Yeah. And then you yeah. had to do the mental sure math of somebody cut this rat open, scooped mm-hmm. out its insides, put a bomb in there and sewed it back up. There's so mm-hmm. much there. <laughs> yeah. Could you imagine being the people in charge of disemboweling a hundred rats to fill with explosives? No, I can't. Like, <laughs> I signed up to kill people. Like, and I'm I'm scooping rats out. <laughs> That's got to be the strangest assignment you've ever been given in the military. Even yeah. worse than, hey, will you glue this napalm to this bat chest for me? No, this is this takes the cake. This is weird. 
hey, will you drop this cat from an airplane really fast? <laughs> like, <laughs> That's eh. so sad. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, okay, I need to stop thinking and, about yeah. this because my brain is going to some dark places. Yeah, World War II was a trip. Oh, gosh. And it was all sides. I mean, I didn't find anything specific. I mean, the Germans experimented on humans. I was going to say Germans dropped. They had guided missiles, but it was people guiding them. So. Yeah. I mean, they had had guided missiles, too, but they were like the Japanese and using their actual folks. mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it... Theirs were much worse, so I guess we weren't as inhumane. Yeah, but it's it's messed up all around. And I understand yeah. them trying to figure out that missing link to be able to successfully guide stuff remotely, but mm-hmm. come on now. Leave, leave cats were not the dogs the and the cats and the bats alone. And, and the, the pigeons. pigeons. They didn't ask for this. They did those poor, like, those poor dogs, all of them, the poor animals in boys. general. And I don't even like bats. They're creepy, yeah. but that story is messed up. Yeah. I don't care how ugly you are. You don't deserve to be frozen. And <laughs> Cats aren't ugly. Bats? Oh, bats. So there was another quote. Those giant it? Australian bats are actually kind of cute because they look like giant flying foxes, but. I know. I think bats are. It depends. Uh, let me see if I can find it. There was another quote about like when his letter that he sent to FDR about bats. Oh, is it this one? Let's see. Um, and it was terrible. What he's like, his thought process was not great. So here's what he said. In his letter, he said that bat was the lowest yeah. form of animal life and that until now, reasons for its creation have remained unexplained. <laughs> that bats were created by God to await this hour to play their part in the scheme of free human existence and to frustrate any attempt of those who dare desecrate our way of life. Here's the deal. If you find a way to weaponize and kill a bunch of wasps at one point, I'm all for it. Yeah, I'm but okay with that one. Anything else, just leave it alone. Just leave it alone. Just, yeah. Just let it let it live. Yeah. <laughs> so It shows it shows you how story. desperate the World War II was for everybody. Yeah. It's just bizarre. Yeah. It also kind of shows how intense the Nazis well, I guess because they had no limits. There were there was nothing like they would do anything. Oh to yeah, they would. They would. Yeah, so, they didn't care. So we were desperately just grasping at straws. Like all of the people were just get desperately grasping at straws to stop the Nazis. Because well, and they were coming up with some pretty crazy new technology too, like the rockets yeah. they were bombing England with the V twos. Those were new mm-hmm. and scary. Uh, they yeah. invented the first jet fighter planes, which was very new and scary. Um, luckily, they invented those too late in the game to really use them. They invented assault rifles. We didn't have assault rifles before yeah. World War II, and they invented them. So well, and the <clears throat> the sad part is like we didn't even realize how depraved they were until later. So like when we were creating these stupid cat bombs mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. We didn't even know about. Oh yeah. No, the we, hol- we, like the Holocaust. Yeah. Like we didn't know about concentration. Not at camps. all. Um, yeah. So yeah, they, they were able to do a lot of R and D in Germany cause they were working on stolen money and they had slave labor. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. And very intelligent slave labor. Too. Very intelligent slave labor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, well, on that note, if you'd like to send us an email <laughs> about stupid weapons or tell us how 
I'm stupid that I didn't know pigeons and doves were the same thing. And Jared's stupid because he said monkeys and apes were the same thing. I was thinking primates. Uh, We're all primates. So monkeys and apes are all primates. primates. That makes makes more sense. Um, Still doesn't follow the line of thinking you were for the doves and pigeons thing. But that's fine. You can email us at wildwildwhattf at gmail.com. Jared's glaring at me now. So if (laughs) if you want to send us a tweet. Wild Wild What TF at Twitter, or you can check out our Instagram at Wild Wild What TF Podcast. See you later. Thanks.